welcome to the pre-roll for ELL 186. And this morning I want to tell you, well, presume you're listening in the morning anyway, I want to tell you about a fine cup of coffee from Lorenzotti, Italy. These are libertarian entrepreneurs who moved to Utah, Utah of all places, and found out, non-surprisingly, that there was no good coffee to be had. So what did they do? They decided... Let's source some beans, damn it. So they went out, they found some beans from Italy, did the taste test, found themselves a bean that works for espresso, works for regular coffee brewing, a bean that's aromatic, yet smooth and delightful, bold to the senses. Anyway, I've been greatly enjoying it. And you can get a discount by putting in the code LIONS at Lorenzati.coffee. Again, Lorenzati.coffee, promo code LIONS. Be sure to get two tins for that free shipping. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Howdy, howdy, chicklets and chick dudes. I don't know. What's the male version of a chicklet? There you go. A hubba bubba? Let's just say it's a hubba bubba. Can you intermarry? That's the question in this time frame that we live in now, this goddamn identity politics centric time frame where the hubba bubbas of the world aren't allowed to associate with the chicklets of the world. And the chicklets, should they want to become a hubba bubba, don't even talk about it, kids, because it'll get you barred from anything. All right, welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode number 186. All the show notes for today's show can be found at lionsofliberty.com forward slash 186. I know it's an interesting equation we've got working there. So welcome, welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining me again on this show. I hope you enjoyed uh, last week's diatribe a little late in the game. Talked about Joe Jorg, which of course has been, uh, uh, you know, I think thoroughly parsed out at this point. No more need to uh, to dwell upon it. But I will tell you that, interestingly enough, I'm going to be speaking with somebody working on the Joe Jorgensen campaign on, uh, I think, probably next week or the week after. And I'm, I've am i been working with the campaign to kind of talk about different ways to approach it, uh, which is good. You know, looking forward to, uh, to continuing to add a little consultation to that as far as messaging and my take on what's going to work, what's not going to work, et cetera. And I'm not going to out the guy that I'm meeting with at the moment. I don't know if he wants that uh, public knowledge or not, but should be interesting. And ties into what I want to talk about today because I don't know if you've noticed this just trolling around the interwebs and making yourself miserable, but an awful lot of things have been going down and a refrain that I am seeing occur more and more often on social media is I will see certain assholes on the left and the right alike post the question, where are all the libertarians on this? And it ranges from police brutality to uh, protest to war issues to, I mean, you name it. I've seen just about all of them, which is why I titled this episode, Where Are All the Libertarians on Blank? And it's got to be one of those goddamn aggravating things that I've ever seen in my entire time on this earth. Because As you and I both know, libertarians have always been here in the exact same place since the 60s. I mean, there's been very little real movement as far as the party plank and the party platform. The only real movement I've seen recently is a plank to to address the abortion issue, which, as we know, is something libertarians are split on. But libertarians forever have been for equal rights, for gay rights, for gay marriage, have been for uh, bringing home the troops, for keeping uh, America's militarism at a minimum, for basic civil rights and liberties, for free speech, for countering. I mean, the the most prominent thing I've seen lately, and this is one I'd I'd responded to some jerk off on Twitter, and I don't even know how he came up in my timeline. You know, just uh, somebody, some leftist retweeted some other leftist and, and it came across my field of vision. But it was essentially a tweet talking about police actions in Portland, where if you haven't been noticed, if your head's been buried in the sand lately, and I mean the last day or two, and maybe it was just the one night, actually, what had been going on is that people in Portland, the rioters and the protesters, had been continuously active night after night after night. 
And now you may have heard us talk about this briefly as it was happening on Monday, because I think it happened maybe Sunday night. And so night after night, these people have been going out, they've been protesting, they've been doing property damage, and also targeting like the police union buildings and the courthouse. So now in accordance to, to federal law, the government is actually permitted to defend its own property. It's been rolled in before, and I believe... As far as I can I can tell, and this is from reading also Judge Napolitano weighing in on this topic, it is within the government's purview to roll in federal troops and take actions, especially where it's to protect its own property. Of course, you and I can argue the federal government should not own any property, and I would stick by that standpoint, but still, it is legal at this point. That, of course, doesn't mean that we have to agree with it. Nor does it mean that we have to defend it. And I know Eric July was also getting in a in a Twitter warfare or a YouTube warfare about this because he had said he is he doesn't have to take any action to defend the communists that are getting beat up in the streets by the cops, nor does he have to come in and defend cops that are getting beat up by protesters. His position is neither of you matter to me necessarily from my point of view. I don't have to defend either of you. Um, you know, you you get what you get. And I'm paraphrasing and simplifying that argument, of course. But it's a little bit of you reap what you sow. And to this extent, though, I, you know, when I look at what's going on, I look at these federal forces coming in that have unmarked vests. You know, they don't have any signifiers on them. They just say general, generic, generic, generic police on it. They're in unmarked vans. Of course, I spoke up on Twitter and I said, this is heinous. No, we don't agree with anything that's going on here. Of course, we can't support federal forces coming in in unmarked vehicles and taking people off the streets without any sort of provocation. And some of these people, uh, if, if you're believing reports that are out there, were just walking around nowhere near the courthouse, but they are being detained and taken away. And a lot of the, what they're saying is happening is that it's uh, Department of Homeland Services people and also border control. Because Portland is within 100 miles of the border, so they, I guess, have jurisdiction during the, under the made-up laws that exist. So they're in there. They're taking people. They're detaining them. Now, the, most of these people have been released, of course, but still, they're rolling in there. They're throwing them into these vans. They're not giving them a, you know, a, a chance to see a lawyer. They're detaining them and have the possibility of indefinite detention because of who? Oh, that's right, Barack Obama who signed in indefinite detention against U.S. citizens because it had been in there previous to, uh, to Barack Obama signing it in 2014, but only for foreign uh, agents, terrorists primarily. Still doesn't excuse it. It's still horrible. But he had made it applicable to U.S. citizens as well. Of course, the, the, the outcry was negligible then. And if you didn't know, the NDAA passed on Tuesday, again, with resounding support. And oddly enough, I don't even know if you say oddly enough anymore. It should be no surprise to anybody. The Democrats overwhelmingly support it with less people opposing it. I think it was 41 Democrats opposed and 81 Republicans opposed with, of course, Justin Amash also voting them. So the Democrats are on board with this NDNA, which, of course, authorizes all sorts of civil liberty infringements, authorizes uh, censorship, authorizes spying, authorizes indefinite detention, uh, suspends habeas corpus, allows the military to go all over the goddamn place and do under the, the auspices of fighting terror. I mean, it's one of the most horrible bills that has ever passed. And yet you have pretty overwhelming bipartisan support. Of course, where were libertarians on that? Oh, that's right. We opposed it the entire time. We opposed everything in it. Soup to nuts. Throwing some fucking croutons. We opposed everything in that. So isn't it convenient, though, that both sides of the aisle attack libertarians when they know it's a straw man? Either they don't know the history of libertarian positions and just the basics, which is, you know, perfectly legitimate to believe, especially coming from leftists where it seems history's completely been rewritten and taught to them in a, in a completely different manner uh, than actually exists within the, the same time-space continuum which we all inhabit. But you got people on the right saying, we're the libertarians as well. And we know that we're right on police. We know we're right on civil liberties. We've been talking about it for decades and decades and decades. So you go, okay, what could be the impetus for this? 
And that seems fairly obvious in that it comes down to the positioning war, the messaging war that's going on right now. The left still desperately, despite all facts and all reality arguing to the contrary, that the left still desperately wants to be seen as the party for civil liberties. The party is defending your rights and liberties and free speech and defending all these things when they're, when they're clearly not. They've abdicated that in lieu of attacking and censoring and trying to squash civil liberties that as long as it's not something that they, they explicitly agree with. If you're not on the team, your liberties could not matter less. They also, of course, have defaulted to being pro-war, and the Democrats are now the ones who are uh, more even than the Republicans trying to block Trump from bringing troops home from Afghanistan. Like Trump says, that he's got to cl- close five bases, and the Pentagon confirmed this: close five bases in Afghanistan, bring those troops home. Great, wonderful. But he also wants to cut troops and bring them home from Syria and North Korea and all these, or not North Korea, excuse me, South Korea and Germany. And you've got the Democrats leading the charge to try to stop him from bringing the troops home. I mean, it is, it's amazing because people talk about the left, and the, you know, the, the Democrats and the Republicans flipping sides at some point in history. And of course, which is why they say that the Democrats were the party of the KKK and slavery, et cetera. But we're seeing certain things flip-flop in real time in front of our eyes, especially where war is concerned. And now, not that the Republicans are good on war, but I'm certainly seeing a lot more uh, saber rattling from people on the GOP side as of late about war than on the left. I mean, Tulsi Gabbard was the only outspoken anti-war candidate and she got drummed off the stage and accused by the Democratic Party, by Hillary Clinton, went on a campaign tour trying to prove that she was a Russian asset. This is not coincidence. So the Democrats are... are, are (laughs) overarchingly embracing this warfare mindset, all the while pretending that they are the party of peace and civil liberties and equality and moving things forward in progressivism. Now, it makes sense then for them to constantly, every time there is an occasion wherein libertarians have been right for decades and own it, libertarians own trying to rein in the police state trying to rein in militarism, militarization of the police, federal forces being involved in local matters, overarching federal authority over states and cities. Libertarians have been pushing back against this since the beginning. So naturally, if you're on the left, why would you not, to all your followers who don't know fucking jack shit, most of whom are not going to be libertarians, why would you not posit that question? Where are all the libertarians on this? Why are they so quiet? When, of course, they know we're not fucking quiet on it. And the same is being done on the right, because the right is very well aware of the fact that the libertarians have been in this space. The libertarians have been calling for, for you know, not only for the uh, most basics of defund the police and change that, that predicament to privatize police, but also that we've been on the forefront of the anti-war movement, which they have seated as have the Democrats, on the forefront of the economic movement and trying to rein in the Fed. And the Democrats and the Republicans both have been pushing the Fed along, have been all for raising the spending ceiling. They're all for raising the debt ceiling. So when you have matters of economics or matters that, that fall into libertarian purview that the right used to try to own, they do the same thing. Where are libertarians on this? You know, and a lot of the, this stuff with COVID, I've seen uh, people posing this question. I, and I apologize. I was going to try to pull some examples before the show on this, and I just ran out of time. Ran out of time. But again, the tactics are very obvious. The messaging is so obvious to attack what they know we own, what we they know where they're weak. They know that if there is a time for a libertarian movement, oddly enough, it could arise out of this. And I've already said my opinion on cancel culture where we should try to amplify it because at the end of the day, amplifying it and trying to accelerate it is only going to help us by everybody getting canceled out till they come around to the point where free speech now is something that people go, you know what, we got to halt this. We got to protect it. This has gone too far. And in the meantime, little old libertarians sitting in the middle here, we're watching the bullets take out snipers on both sides. You know, it's it's basically crossfire. We just lie down in our little little, uh, bellies here wait for them to take each other out, and then spring up victorious. <laughs> and I mean, I legitimately think 
You're seeing a lot of that happen in this in this presidential race, in the circumstances we have right now with COVID, with the bailouts, with the trillions of dollars of deficit, with the Democrats bending over backwards to force people to stay home and making this mass wearing thing into a left versus right conundrum, where you've got the GOP now stalling on trying to bail people out, but at the same time ceding to the uh, to the madness, not protecting people's ability and rights to go to work. Definitely not not worried about the debt. I mean, Donald Trump, the, the largest debt in history. Now, of course, he'll parlay that off and say, well, it's because of COVID and because of the economy and everything else. But again, Republicans have had the, this debt. So like under Bush, it went up. Under Obama, it went up more. And then it went out oh, even more under Trump before this happened. So from a messaging standpoint now, and this is why I got pissed at Joe. And I'm saying, you know, like they're, they're busy sniping each other out here. You know, why are we trying to toss our hat in with this, the hashtag Black Lives Movement? But I won't dwell on that. But we look at a messaging standpoint, why hasn't the Libertarian Party owned explicitly and tried to campaign on this, go reach out to media and, and make more of an effort to say, these are the positions we've owned. Here are the fucking check marks. Here is the campaign. Here's our social media campaign. Hashtag been here for years, you know, and it literally roll out all the things we've run. The economy, Keynesian economics not working, the deficit, uh, the warfare state. Military industrial complex, gay rights. I mean, Christ, I just Googled this before the show. Because I was thinking, I'm walking my dogs today. And I'm like, I'm like, Joe Bishop Henchman just got elected to LNC chair. He is an openly gay man. He did his acceptance speech. I mean, he had his husband speak for him during the election. He did his acceptance speech. His husband was on stage with him. He was voted in. You know, and and it wasn't even though I didn't I didn't vote for him. It wasn't close. You know, it was like Josh Smith got beaten. I think by some thirty percent. It was a pretty overwhelming victory. Where are the headlines in the Washington Post? Where are the Huffington Post articles? Why doesn't every single publication that leans left or that is gay or LGBTQ uh, I A plus all of them? Why doesn't every one of those fucking newspapers have a headline in it as of the the week after that says third largest political party in the United States elects very first openly gay chair of any major political party? Where was that headline? We own gay rights, gay equality, gay marriage, pushing for people to have equal footing under the law and equal, equal rights as citizens, despite your sexual preferences. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't discriminate against somebody if you have your private business. It doesn't mean you can't decide not to associate with people if you don't like their lifestyle. But of course, it means you can't do anything from a legal standpoint to discriminate against them. Why are we not owning the fact that this man has made a first in a party? The Democrats and Republicans haven't had anybody openly gay chairing their fucking parties. It's just absurd that there isn't more done to educate people on libertarian positions and how we have been correct. Housing bubble. We're right on that. I mean, it's just like over and over and over again, we are proven to be correct on our prognostications and on our point of view. And no matter how right we are, these people just keep going, where are all the libertarians on this? So clearly that needs to be a focal point, not just of this campaign, but of any libertarian positioning done by the party moving forward. All right, moving on to slightly of a different topic, but still tied in again to us owning police reform and also recommendations from libertarians as to, hey, why are police handling all these traffic stops when you don't need to have armed officers enforcing and shooting people over minor infractions? John Odermatt's talked about this on his show. I have before as well. Uh, Philandro Castile, I think, is the one who was shot in his car, um, you know, again, over a blinker being out. But... Berkeley, California has moved forward to stop police from conducting traffic stops and are going to look to use civilian city workers instead. Now, their goal is to defund the police department by some 50% and have these people do it as well or instead. Now, 
here's my take on this, because I do agree that certain things like, you know, you do not need to have police handling every single detail, traffic stop, parking ticket, um, you know, speeding ticket, etc. But I can see the trade-offs here and, and it, I can see how this could become something where it could have a, a backlash. And I'll tell you how that rolls out. Because as libertarians, right, we oppose red camera laws, of course. We oppose any sort of cameras that track and give you tickets automatically. You know, where's the right to face your accuser in a, in a trial or a, in front of a jury? That is how we've been able to fight back against these things, as has, I think, the ACLU may have even taken it on back when they did work that was legitimate uh, for defending civil liberties and not just a, uh, a prop-up wing for leftist bullshit. But... If you get rid of police officers that are going to be doing these traffic stops, you have a couple of things that are going to happen. Number one, if you just have civilian authorities who don't have uh, camera technology in place or the ability to issue a, a ticket right away based on, you know, just having your license plate without having to do an actual traffic stop, people are definitely not going to stop for them. <laughs> I know I wouldn't. <laughs> I just Middle fingers in the air, pedal to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're going to see is, is a potential for them to try to put more automatic uh, camera lights in there. And I know these exist in some state parks, which is horseshit. So that's one thing we have to watch out for and fight back against is these uh, cameras that are going to auto ticket. So that's one thing. Uh, because obviously, if people are just going to drive away, then they're going to say, well, how are we going to stop this? Uh, the second thing is that there is a danger of people, you know, if, if, you, if you extend this to drunk driving, that's where I can see some problems arising or erratic driving or something like that. Because while I definitely think that you don't need to have people, well, number one, you don't need to stop somebody at any point in time ever for having a tail light out. Uh, if they're, you know, if you can catch them and they're, and they're in place and they're parked, great. I don't, I personally am uncomfortable with having civilians go up to people uh, and try to give them tickets. You know, it's just, that to me is, is wrong. Trying to pull somebody over and stop them, not only because you have a definite possibility of a conflict, um, more so because if you know, we always say an armed society is a polite society. If you have civilian officers going in there that do not have arms on them, that do not have the ability or the authority to, uh, I guess, to protect themselves effectively, you do invite a certain element to react violently. Of course, you would hope that having some sort of monitoring on the car to protect them, protect their safety and to hold accountability, which I'm sure they would, would come into play. But I worry that there's going to be some violence to come of that, especially people that are just pissed off for getting pulled over for rinky-dink bullshit like an out taillight. Of course, at the same time, maybe that goes, what goes along with this is that a lot of these rinky-dink bullshit fixes don't turn into be tickets in the first place. Wouldn't that be nice if instead of having a, a ticket for now taillight, you simply got somebody to remind you or you have something where you're able to fix it within six months so that that way you're not getting a ticket every time you get pulled over and you don't have to worry about getting pulled over, which then case that probably spirals into some sort of heavy debt, especially from the poor side of things, which happens a lot with parking tickets and these rinky dink style bullshit tickets that they give where people can't pay them. They get hit with fine after fine, it you know quadruples in cost, and then you have a warrant out for the rest, and they go to jail, and now the kid goes into foster care. Great, but still, that maybe that can get figured out to make sure that the people that are giving the tickets are safe. And I know half of you out there are going, "Why do we care if they get hurt?" These government motherfuckers. You're like, uh, yeah, I know, I'm with you, but at the same time, I don't believe in violating the NEP, and I'd like like people to stay safe if possible. So let's presume that that can be handled, right? You have civilians give these tickets, they're safe. They're, you know, there's not incidents stemming from that. It does become a problem, though, if you've got somebody drunk driving out there. I don't see how a civilian is going to necessarily handle that. Even if they've got training in uh, de-escalating conflict, maybe they've got some stunt driver training. If you've got somebody out there that's wildly erratic, drunk driving across the, the road, I could see that being a problem. I could see that ending in a, a death. I could see that ending in a fight. I could see that ending in any number of other people getting injured. If you've got somebody trailing this person that they feel, oh, I could probably outrun this person. They're not a real cop. They've got no gun. They're not going to be able to do anything to me. I might as well give it a go. Give it the old college try. I can see that escalating and ending badly. And not to side with the police unions, which I try never to do, um, but they did bring that point up. And I had to concede from a logic perspective, I can understand that point. 
And I've also voiced in the past that overarchingly, I'm against drunk driving laws. I think that if you cause an accident, if you are causing uh, injury to somebody else, then that is something that comes around and you have to obviously pay for that and be held accountable. I do not agree with having arbitrary drunk driving limits and alcohol limits in place. I absolutely oppose having stops where people are, are forced to stop and take breathalyzers or have checks by officers. I'm against all of that. But again, I'm trying to operate within the reality of the time. I don't see people getting rid of drunk driving laws anytime, anytime in the near future. So again, that would have to be addressed. But still, this will be very interesting to watch. And I'd like to see how it plays out. I mean, obviously, getting out of the cars and moving into other aspects of police enforcement, I would love to see police not necessarily be assigned to go to someone's house or at least have somebody else that's able to, to go with them to de-escalate domestic violence affairs or to go for like uh, for a suicide call, a police officer should never be called. Never. Unless there's a, some last resort where there's nobody else possibly available to go to that call. Everybody else is already dealing with other suicides from fucking COVID and the lockdown that we're forced to endure. Then maybe you send a cop, but I'd rather a fireman go. I'd rather have a social worker go. I'd rather have anybody else that's trained to handle that situation. Same thing with people that are on drugs and drug overdoses. Cops don't need to be going to that. You could have other ways to handle that circumstance. You don't need to have a police officer going there armed that might have an escalation of the situation that's going to go in there arresting people and make them know that they're going to jail as soon as the cop gets there. When you have a social worker going in there that's going to be able to help them or somebody that's volunteering that situation is going to resolve itself far more meaningfully, far more, uh, far less violently, and hopefully allow people to get on with their lives. So there you go. That's that quick take on that. But again, you know, talking about positions that libertarians already hold as far as not using the police for these things, not having police pull people over for rinky dink offenses and other sort of bullshit. And of course, then if you don't have the assorted bullshit for police pulling people over, you'd also don't have the added on uh, make-believe crimes of resisting arrest, of uh, fleeing, of refusing to comply with an officer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Hey guys, let me take a quick minute to tell you about a great blog. It's actually on medium.com. You can find it. It's called The Liberty Theorist, and it's at medium.com forward slash at Liberty Theorist. And this is basically a blog started by a buddy of ours and a supporter of the show. And what he does, he likes to talk about uh, all the shady things that government has been up to, why libertarianism is the only viable way currently to keep that much power out of the hands of government, which is, of course, what we're always about, right? Keep that power out of the hands of government. So this man is a uh, Rothbardian libertarian who believes we're highly in need of prison reform, that victimless crimes should be abolished, and that we need to end the welfare slash warfare and spy state, and that true market, free market capitalism is the way to go while socialism kills human production. So basically, the government should stay the hell out of your life. It's a good read. I suggest you go check it out. He's got some articles up now on JFK and the CFR, the fight for a Pax Americana. Uh, he's got from he's got shattered windows, the fallacy of rioting being good for the economy or everybody. But, you know, obviously tying into the broken windows theory. And I haven't read this one, but <laughs> a post called "I Held Kennedy's Brain." <laughs> Jim Jenkins sheds light on the new JFK autopsy. Um, so guys, check that out. Give it a read, The Liberty Theorist, and uh, hopefully you enjoy it as uh, much as we have. Reminds me of the good old days when we used to write articles back on Lions Liberty. Post those to the uh, the Ron Paul forums. Oh boy. In the way back, way back machine. <laughs> Libertarian boomers. And of course, you can also find the Liberta- the the Liberty Theorist at Facebook.com forward slash the Liberty Theorist. Okay, back into the show. Uh quick shout out to and you're gonna be surprised when I say this, maybe, but to John Lewis, who of course we would say is uh definitely on the left, definitely not an ally for libertarianism. However, we can't deny the contributions that Lewis made. Uh, as a youth and for equality, you know, fighting against state mandated segregation, fighting against state mandated and condoned violence uh, against black Americans and really put his body out there on the line. You know, I was reading a lot of articles about him 
and um, expanded my knowledge of what he had done, really putting himself in harm's way uh, as you know for some of the groups that he was with and, and violating these completely verboten uh, establishments or um, you know places that blacks were not allowed to sit, stand, walk, eat, <sighs> loiter, and really put himself out there. You know, he put himself in harm's way. So, a quick shout out to Congressman John Lewis. Uh, and uh, rest in peace. But I, at the same time, wanted to bring a little bit of attention to what I thought was just some of the more petty politicking and uh, and really just absolutely childish behavior, which is that the Congressional Black Caucus chairman encouraged Donald Trump to stay silent on Lewis's death. Quote, please let us mourn in peace. Which is just, I don't know. And it's Karen Bass, who I actually because of the work that I do with foster children in Los Angeles, I have met Karen Bass. Uh, I have respect for the work that she does with foster children, obviously, but this kind of nonsense, just childish bullshit, trying to score points after a leader in the equality rights or the equal rights movement passes uh, and using his death as a springboard to attack a political rival is truly, truly pathetic. Um, just awful. And I look, I don't know what black America is thinking necessarily when John Lewis passes, but I would have to think that if Donald Trump said nothing, they would be more pissed off than if he's, you know, made a heartfelt statement or even a just a pre-written statement by some stooge saying that he was a legitimate icon in the equal rights movement who as I said put himself out there and uh, and sacrificed life and limb to fight for what he thought was a right cause. And uh, and obviously was. So again, Rest in peace, John Lewis, and wow, fucking shame on you, Karen Bass. Okay, enough on that. Just wanted to drop a quick one in there. Um, next topic I want to hit on this is that I, I you know, how he, you know, again, how he sends out all these news links, and he sent through this news link. Of, it was for a former Facebook employee who uh, had gone out, and this guy's, I'm oh, sorry, ex Google and ex Facebook employee Patrick Hsu who explained why he thought diversity politics were creating more problems than solutions. Now, I watched this video. I was able to find it and watch it. And then I tried to follow him on uh, Twitter after watching this Facebook video. And again, he just talks about how, you know, within these things, the diversity policies are basically targeting and excluding Asians and white people and solely to the benefit of black and Latin uh, minorities. And I guess Latin is not even really a minority at this point. I think going to be 51% within a couple of years. So, but he said though, you know, a lot of these things, and he gave examples of the workarounds that these agencies use or these companies use to avoid discrimination lawsuits, um, where they'll say, oh, it's an internship, but we're only hiring people that are minorities for these internships, but then they're paid internships. So they are actually full-time positions anyway. So he's pointing that out, how they are without a doubt, um, excluding people that are not of this this target demographic. And also just that the diversity programs that they have in place are uh, actually more divisive and causing more um, prejudice than they actually do to quash it. So again, another person coming out and uh, basically saying what I think any person with real logic can see is happening. We're, we're watching it literally play out in front of our faces as a new generation that has come through with all of this emphasis on identity politics and diversity training and struggle sessions and all this other shit, uh, finally get a taste of power and now look to sil- silence and censor anybody that doesn't agree with them and force people into um, obeying. So of course he puts this viral or this video out, goes viral. And now when I went to follow him on Twitter, he was banned, Right. He now has been uh, shadow banned from YouTube after 10 years on the platform. He has been banned from Facebook. And again, this is all after putting something out, you know, just drew some attention from these, uh, these leftists and immediately censored. And here's a quote from him. I think it is quite disturbing in the age of censorship in which we are entering with most communication dominated by these top tier tech companies. And almost all of these companies have certain political biases, promoting only certain viewpoints and blocking others. 
They simply don't want to promote a free, open discussion, and there is no such thing as a neutral platform or means of discussion these days. Now, of course, this is true. And you could argue even the new platforms that are coming out, like Parler, for instance, are without a doubt right-leaning. And I've heard that they are banning leftists or not allowing them to join, which again, if I'm going to join a platform and I joined Parler and then I stopped my interest because I heard this was happening, I'm looking for a neutral playing field. I'm looking for something that's going to accept opinions from both sides because I want to hear both sides of the debate. I want to have an open mind. I want to hear facts and figures that may not support my point of view. And if I am wrong, I will gladly change that point of view. Or at least I will soften my stance until I know for a fact that what I'm saying is right, or at least until uh, my philosophy can come around and find a way in which that logic makes sense. So you're seeing the most recent example, though, of these tech companies going out of their way to find somebody. They see this man's talking from within the sphere. So naturally, blacklisted, blacklisted, blacklisted. And I'm sure you're going to see things coming out soon that, that label him as a racist, uh, label him as a sexist, talk about, I, I, you know, it's just like what happened with the, the other guy from Google. I can't remember his name, but immediately you see the attack dogs get get put out in the uh, in the fields. As uh, Mr. Burns said, release the hounds. And everything else comes out to try to, to paint this man as a demon rather than just a man who has a logical uh, problem with the way in which a company is handling its diversity policies and seems to be a monochrome type of thinking that's going through that agency or company. Now, moving on to an interesting uh, counterpoint, which is we actually saw, and again, this is why I'm thinking can't cancel culture everybody, but we actually saw a rebuke from both the uh, the left and the right, the whites and the blacks alike. And that was in regards to the Smithsonian and its National Museum of African-American History and Culture. And what they had put out was a document which, it, it, here's why it pissed people off on both sides of the fence, ready? So it was, it's under this guise, I guess uh, maybe it was a display of talking about race. And it was titled Aspects and Assumptions of Whiteness and White Culture in the United States. And it says, white culture or whiteness refers to the ways white people and their traditions, attitudes, and ways of life have been normalized over time and are now considered standard practices in the United States. And since white people still hold most of the institutional power in America, of course, they got to get that, that line in, we have all internalized some aspects of white culture, including people of color. So... They, they then present this poster, right? And I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to say that this is how white people are regarded. And whether, whether this is uh, true or not, right? They're saying that this is how white people are perceived. And these are the, what we associate with white people. And this is what we've embodied. And this is what whiteness is. And I guess you could argue that some of these are racial stereotypes that they say black people believe about white people. So... Let's start off. And I will say that, again, I'm not going to read every one of these, but I'll do some highlights. So rugged individualism, self-reliance, independence and autonomy are highly valued and rewarded, and independent individuals assumed to be in control of their environment. Family structure, nuclear family, father, mother, 2.3 children is the ideal social unit. Okay. Husband is breadwinner and head of the household. Not true anymore. Wife is homemaker and subordinate to the husband. Again, not true anymore. And I, unless say, you know, I, I was talking to some people on Facebook about this. I have said this before in the podcast at the current time, my wife makes way more money than me. You know, my agency's up and down. When we met, I was making way more. Now she is kicking my ass. So she is the primary breadwinner of the household. We co-head the household. I would say that in the majority of, uh, of family dynamics that I know of in the United States, and maybe it's just my I don't know, my more educated upbringing, maybe this is not the way back in rural Pennsylvania, but the woman is primarily still quite involved in how the household rolls out. And if it's not, that might be by desire. You know, this is what I was talking with somebody on Facebook about, is that you don't necessarily have it where it's always enforced. It's not subordinate. It can be, okay, yeah, I'm happy to stay home with kids. And I have a friend that his wife stays home. I also have two husbands that stay home and their wives go out and work. If you've decided that's your course of action, who fucking cares? But I would say that I don't, in what world is wife homemaker and subordinate to the husband a whites only concept? 
In what world? If anything, the world over the history of, of humanity, that has been the case. And if anything, in societies like America and white, you know, predominantly white America in the, you know, coming out of the, the, uh, the wars, which is where when whites were the majority of America, women got a lot of equality. Women took this control. Women now are, are very much equal footing with men in general. So I, again, it's just confusing to me. And that children should have their own rooms and be independent. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. Again, I don't know where they're, they're pulling this information from. I know that my children, uh, I'd be happy for them to have own rooms. I do think they should at some point. I do think they should be independent. Why should they be, you know, why shouldn't they have their own way of thinking and be able to go out and do things on their own? Why, why are you calling social services on them? I'm spending too much time on this family structure. Okay. Emphasis on the scientific method. Possibly the most ridiculous thing on here. They, and this is again, I, I, I don't know if they're saying that this is what whites think and this is, or this is what minorities think about whites, but that we put an emphasis on scientific method and that objective and rational linear, linear thinking. Uh, that there's cause and effect relationships and quantitative emphasis. Isn't that any culture that believes in science? <laughs> Isn't that, shouldn't any culture or person, regardless of race, or regardless of race, think that you'd want objective, rational, linear thinking? I know that the people that are touting all of these progressive movements definitely are not rational thinkers. They definitely are not objective thinkers, but shouldn't everybody strive towards that? Shouldn't everybody see cause and effect relationships and be like, that's a pretty important thing. Cause and effect tend to govern everything around us. Just absolutely insane. History. Based on European immigrants' experience in the U.S., heavy focus on the British Empire, and the primacy of Western and Judeo-Christian tradition. All right, I guess so. A Protestant work ethic. Hard work is the key to success. Work before play. And if you don't meet your goals, you didn't work hard enough. Again, I don't know if that's Protestant. Uh, I also don't know if that's necessarily prominent. But again, you'd think that's something that people should want to strive for. Uh, hard work, yes. Work before play, yes. You know, putting off your uh, your desires. What did they call it? I'm, I'm blanking on the phrase. It was in, God, it was in economics in one lesson. And uh, delayed gratification. Yes, delayed gratification is good. That's how you were able to save up and, and have a house and have savings accounts. Religion, Christianity is the norm. No, it's not. The U.S. is not a Christian nation anymore. It is, in fact, atheism. I believe atheism is the fastest growing religion in the United States. I also think it's the largest religion in the United States. Anything other than Judeo-Christian tradition is foreign. And there's no tolerance for deviation from a single God concept. Again, this is ridiculous nonsense. Status, power, and authority. Wealth equals worth. Your job is who you are. Respect authority. Heavy value and ownership of goods, space, and property. Again, heavy ownership on goods, space, and property. I could see how that could be a cultural thing, not just associated with white people. Uh, I guess if we're to believe history, even though I've heard this debunked a million times, that the Native Americans didn't have a concept of property, right? Which is bullshit. But yeah. You want to own property. You want to own goods. You want to have wealth. That's how you live your life. Unless you were a, a rabid socialist, in which case, didn't Russia have several million people that were white living over there? Virtually every Rus Russian is white. They were uh, communists for quite some time, guys. Oh, there we go. Future orientation. Yes. Delayed gratification. Progress is always best. Tomorrow will be better. Hey, yo, how dare you think that tomorrow won't be better? And then time, view time as a commodity, followers of time skills, hilarious. Uh, aesthetics, steak and potatoes, bland is best. Again, is this, is this the racist aspect of, of them thinking that white people don't have flavor and like bland food? <laughs> uh, women's beauty based on blonde and thin, a concept that other than Aryan nation Germans has no possible realistic application People like every different kind of woman. I personally do not like blondes the best. I like redheads and brunettes predominantly. And I know many, many people who do not prefer blondes overall. And in fact, I think you see far less people being blonde these days. Again, this is just based on the most racist connotation of white men all want blonde Barbies. And a man's attractive is based on economic status, power, and intellect. Well, how dare he be attractive based upon 
economic status, power, or intellect. I think women uh, the world over pretty much appreciate those aspects of a man. I would also argue that sense of humor, well, closely tied to intellect, as we all know, which is why I'm so brilliant and hilarious. uh, Sense of humor also very, very important. Not just to whiteies, to everybody. And then holidays based on white history and male leaders. Again, this makes sense. If you're living in America, which was a predominantly white majority, you're going to have a lot of white leaders in the past. I don't see a way around this. <laughs> I, just, I just don't. Uh, let's see. Justice. Intent counts. Yes. Well, intent should count in justice. And then competition. Win at all costs. Action orientation. Master and control nature. Yes, you do want to master and control nature. Well, I don't, again, I get, what are these people talking about that is it's racist to view controlling nature and building and prospering? It, it, it's racist to do that? Decision-making aggressiveness and extroversion. And then of course, majority rules, but only when whites have power, <laughs> uh, very, very, uh, progressive way of thinking that yes, you, you're all, the only majority rules when white people are in power and then communication. Don't show emotion. Don't discuss your personal life. Be polite. Being polite. Yes, I would agree. Quite, uh, quite important. Written tradition, probably also a good thing. Considering that a lot of the movements that uh, led to equality and uh, the aversion to the religion that these people say that all white people stick to came about with the advent of the printing press. But anyway, there you go. That's just a synopsis of it. And uh, this got pushbacks from both sides for obvious reasons. Because when I read this, I thought, okay, this is blatantly racist and absolutely bat shit fucking crazy. Just stupid nonsense to be put out by the Smithsonian, an institution which is widely respected and regarded, is inexcusable. So as a white person, I'm offended at these broad, idiotic, racist, racist uh, brushstrokes. But then the funny thing was, and when I initially read it, I mocked it. I was like, wait, are they mocking all of these things? This seems like, uh, you know, 75% of this is a guide to being successful and living a good life and thinking coherently and being a, a functioning member of society. And fortunately, I wasn't the only one because you also have, you know, Project 21. I think I had uh, I mentioned that before the head of that organization, which is a black group. He comes out and he says the same thing I'm thinking. He goes, he goes, wait a minute. You're saying that these qualities are only associated with whiteness. Do you know how racist that is against black people? You know, it's the, the again, the racism of low expectations, the bigotry of low expectations of saying that these qualities that make you successful, make you attractive, make you able to compete in the environment, in the, you know, whether that's free market or going out and hunter gathering, what it might be, taking initiative, having intellect, you know, like all of these qualities that make a good person. Why are those explicitly white qualities? Do you know that means that if we don't have these qualities that we're like fucking ridiculous? And again, I'm paraphrasing. He didn't say those exact words, but how racist is it to only imbue those qualities to whiteness? So in a win, in a very rare win for logic and reason, that whiteness poster was canceled. So proof and concept, cancel everything. It's the only way we're going to get back to sanity. All right, next story. I won't spend too much time on this uh, because, number one, I'm already getting close to an hour of show here, but also because I know my boys are recording Conspiracy Corner right now as I record this, which you can hear only by joining the Lions of Liberty Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty, wherein for as little as $5, you get access to all of our bonus content and, well, not all of it. You don't get access to the email lists of all our news links, that's $15 and up. And you got to be at $25 and up to get on our Mufasa monthly video calls where you get to talk to us, shoot the shit, give us some show feedback and decide what we want to do moving forward. But you can get all the uh, Degenerate Gambler shows, which we're recording a new one tomorrow because finally sports are back. You get all the Conspiracy Corners. You get the bonus show that we did uh, right before Monday's show and uh, all that good stuff. Plus, you get to be in our secret pride group which is pretty cool. And you get to see live videos. Oh, what's not to love? So I saw some new people come on board. Welcome, welcome, everybody. And I implore all of you out there, look, I, to be perfectly honest, we are looking to get this show to the next level. We've seen our numbers go up, which is great. We still need a lot more people to listen and share the show to make it profitable. Because honestly, guys, uh, as I've said, you know, 
with our culture as it is right now, John, Mark, and I all still work nine to five professional jobs in corporate America, right? We run a very real risk of being fired, of being canceled, of being uh, attacked, and essentially losing our income. So we would love it if this could actually become something that we could focus on full time. And the only way we're going to do that is by growing the show exponentially, which we need your guys' help to do. Tweet about it, share it with a friend, post about it on Facebook, share it to the forum groups that you're active in, please and thank you. And then also by supporting us on Patreon. You know, I feel like we do a much better show than Dave fucking Rubin, and that son of a bitch pulls in crazy amounts of money somehow. So please do support us, patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. We need to be cancel proof. <laughs> That's what we're going for. Cancel proof, hashtag cancel proof, the Lions of Liberty. Okay, so anyway. Um, let's talk about this crazy story wherein the judge who was just assigned to unravel the finances behind the Epstein ring, figure out what the fuck's going on with his, uh, international monetary ties named judge Esther Salas, uh, of New Jersey. She was just assigned four days ago and bam, right away. A guy dressed as a federal express delivery driver comes to her house. Knocks on the door, they open it up, opens fire, kills her 20-year-old son, Daniel, and shot her husband, Mark. This is in North Brunswick, New Jersey. Now, horrible, obviously, that this woman's family who had nothing to do with anything gets killed. It would have been tragic if she was shot as well. Of course, regardless of what happened, I who knows if she's going to stay on the case. But it certainly is no coincidence that this happened. And what's amazing to see, though, is that you, you see this gunman sent, right? And I have no doubt in my mind this is not a, a random attack because he had some grudge against her because that's what they're making it out to be. This was somebody sent in. This is somebody sent from the very powerful international cabal of child fuckers that are out there to send a message, probably try to kill her as well. But maybe it's even more effective to send a message like this. Because if you kill her, they just put another judge on the case. But you kill her family... I guess maybe then maybe she'll decide that, uh, ah, you know what? Nothing to see here. I'll do my, I'll do my due diligence. Hopefully they leave me alone. Hopefully they don't kill any other family members. Not endorsing the tactic, by the way, just trying to puzzle it out of my own head. But what's amazing about this is that the guy who had, who had done this, uh, or supposedly had done this, right? They're now painting as, okay, he was some nut, some anti-feminism uh, madman that really had built up a case against her, and that's why he killed her. Nothing to do with Epstein, right? Nothing to see here. And this is exactly what you'd expect to happen. Again, not to go crazy conspiracy theory here. I'm sure they're talking about it on the other show right now. But this guy, the suspect in this, in this shooting, whose name is Roy Den Hollander, who was himself a lawyer, but a, they, they couch it as an anti-feminist activist and lawyer, was, of course, found dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So, naturally, the man that was, according to me, sent to kill this woman or kill this woman's family now is found dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound, which is so so easy. Just what a nice little bow they tied around this message that these people have sent. And they're saying that, oh, this man is just a, a crazy, that he has posted all of these messages on the internet decrying feminism and ranting against her specifically, according to websites registered in his name and address. So he published books on several websites. He called Salas a lazy and incompetent Latina judge appointed by Obama, recording, uh, referring to 2015. And then he says, and again, this is such a bizarre thing to include in the story. He, quote, wanted to ask the judge out, but thought she might hold me in contempt. Okay. Why now? Why, after she's assigned to this Epstein case, does he decide, now's the time that I have to go and murder this woman, who I've written about on the internet in some crazy terms, along with many other women, right? As well as his mother, apparently. Uh, and as well as tying things into Russian mafia prostitutes. I, I don't know, just in, insane ramblings. 
But the, the coincidence just seems a little bit too cute. It's a little bit too Epstein. It's classic Epstein. That this man has a perfect alibi. That he happens to kill her four days after, happens to kill her family four days after, and he happens to end up dead. It's all just a little bit too cute. And in fact, if it wasn't something where he ended up dead of a gunshot wound, if he didn't have this perfect agenda, pre-prescribed agenda and reason for killing this judge who was coincidentally assigned to Epstein, I would think that it might be a, a random coincidence. But because all the pieces line up perfectly, it makes me think even more so than it isn't. Uh, okay, that's uh, okay. One more thing, we're gonna do our idiot of the week with a brand new jingle to wrap the show up from our uh, our supporter and our friend Josh Anderson. So I'll debut it here, and a big thanks to Josh, and I'll roll it out in the rest of these episodes for the idiot of the week. So here you go. No sanity or reason to be found. Idiots and assholes are around. When stupidity is at its peak, it's the Truly, truly excellent. I have to see it. We have to do a little bit, little re-record of that to uh, separate the track for the audio and the uh, and the vocals. Clean it up a little bit, but very impressive. Thank you so much, Josh. All right, our idiot of the week this week hails from Michigan, wherein a judge has said that a teen who didn't finish her online schoolwork has to stay locked up until September. Now, the backstory about this is that a uh, girl who's going by the name of Grace, just to, this is pr- to protect her identity, which happens anytime there's a ward of the state, who's a 15-year-old girl, has been jailed since May for not doing her homework. And the reason that she was in jail in the first place is because she had gotten in a uh, fight with her mother. And I guess, I mean, I guess there must have been some sort of altercation where the police were made aware of, wherein she had assaulted, quote, assaulted her mother by biting her finger and pulling her hair. And then she had stolen another student's phone from a school locker room. That was enough to get her on probation for assault and theft charges. And the judge, Mary Ellen Brennan, ruled that she had to complete all of her coursework from the school's uh, high school's online classes. Otherwise, she would be locked up. So the judge found her guilty because she didn't submit the schoolwork and wasn't getting up for school. And sent her to prison. So now this 15-year-old is in prison. Now, I'm sure she's not in a, you know, federal fuck-me-in-the-ass prison, as they said, in office space. I'm sure she's in a juvenile detention facility. But at the same time, a girl's getting a physical altercation with her mother, right? She has had, apparently this hasn't happened any time since. This was back in November when she got in the fight. Nothing's happened in the meantime. And she hasn't stolen anything else in the meantime. The only thing she hasn't done is got her schoolwork done. So now this judge says, that it doesn't matter. I'm just not going to have any lenience to it. She has to finish the schoolwork, otherwise she can't go home. And she is a threat to the mother, right? This is what Brennan said. She's a threat to the mother. However, the mother wants her to come home. And quite accurately, this is what I took away from this story, whether or not you think that this girl should have complied with the judge's orders and done, you know, how hard is it to do the schoolwork? Which I agree with you. How hard is it to do the fucking schoolwork, especially when it's mobile you know, or virtual schoolwork, which is like half of what you just have to do, I think. But still, the mother raises this very good point, and it kind of prevails in so many of what you hear about these cases where the, the Department of Children and Family Services or Social Services get involved and take away your kids, Um how is this beneficial for the girl? And the judge is saying where the, the juvenile detention facility she's in, it's a treatment center. So it's going to help her with her anger issues and her thieving issues or whatever else it is. How does it really help this girl to be taken away from her mother who wants her back? She wants to be back home with her mother, taken away from her family and put in a facility with other teens who are probably violent, that are probably emotionally uh, unstable and put her in far more harm's way than to just say, look, go home, continue doing the schoolwork. Mom, you make sure she does the schoolwork, and then we'll take it from there. And if she doesn't handle it, if we don't see any progress, then maybe we'll see what other steps can be taken. But to keep this girl locked up away from home because she didn't complete some fucking online courses is idiotic. And that's why she's our idiot of the week. Okay, that's going to wrap it up, guys. 
Um, what do I want to plug at the end? Oh, just listen to Mark on Mondays. Listen to our show. I thought I hope you liked our roundtable show. Again, I think that was the first reunion. I recall it a reunion. It may have been the first time it was just Mark and John and I on a show doing an LALDL, but that was fun. And as Mark mentioned, we are scheduling in. I think we're going to try to do it next Friday or Saturday, record it. But our Pride-only show where we've got a secret list of drinking game rules, which we have to play by, and uh, it's going to be a really fun time. So we're not going to know what's happening. We're not going to know what's, what's coming our way. We're all accidentally going to trip the rules, which are going to make us drink during that show and have all six of us on there. So that's going to be fun. But again, you got to join the pride for that. So patreon.com forward slash Lions of Liberty. But yeah, listen to Mark Clare on Mondays, flagship interviews with leaders of the Liberty Movement. I'm here every Wednesday, and John Odermatt is coming in on Fridays with his deeply, deeply inspirational, emotional, uh, heartbreaking times look at the criminal justice system. So thank you all for tuning in. From me, Brian McWilliams, from the Lions of Liberty, and from Electric Liberty Land, always stay plugged into liberty.